0: Giant robot smashing into other giant robots.
1: This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel.
0: And I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. And today we are checking back in with Michael Shealy, the founder and CEO of Nurse 1 1. Michael, thanks for joining us again.
2: Thanks for having me again.
0: Now, the last time we spoke, if I remember correctly, You mentioned that you're a fan of the in-office collaboration.
2: I am. Yes, for sure.
0: (laughs) And you just distinctly called out, you know, we were relatively early in our move to more remote, and you were kind of missing that ability to look over at someone and kind of gauge how they were doing.
2: Yeah, the missing of the body languages is really something. I I don't think I really realized how much I relied on it until, you know, the the whole shutdown and and everybody's working remote. And now I'm trying to like read facial expressions on a Zoom chat, and and it's just not the same. <laughs> and so I, I think it's been a bit of a challenge for myself. But I think we're starting to figure it out a little bit as a team and starting to find sort of our rhythm. But you know, those are the times when you start to fall back into comfort zone and and then miss something, you know, a misinterpretation gets created and everybody's feeling anxiety. So it's, it's something that's definitely top of mind for us right now.
1: Is that something that you have always been like watching the body language and being in tune with that? Or is it something intentional that you picked up at some point?
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's intentional or not. i just mm-hmm. always, I'm always hypersensitive about how people around me are feeling, Mm -hmm. are interpreting communications. I think I've always had this like fear of being a micromanager and, you know, being this big, bad boss someday in my career where I'm like, you know, dictating to a team what they should be doing. And so I've always just had this like overarching fear that people on my team are not enjoying what they're working on or they're feeling like I'm I'm dictating things too much and so I think I relied a lot on that body language to make sure that I wasn't doing that and that people are excited about what they were working on and that's one of the things that I think I probably relied on more than than anything else and it's gone mm-hmm. now so most of the people I work with now I've been working with for a while but it's hard you know things are changing so rapidly in a startup and especially in this environment that it's hard to make sure that everybody is feeling in groove. So I've just fallen back to the the old like, hey, let's jump on a Zoom call, you know, and and my engineer's like, why? And then it's just <laughs> this like really awkward caller. I'm just like, how's things going? And he's like, yeah, I'm I got things to do. What's what's up? You know, and it's just, you know, I'd rather fall on the side of over cautiousness when it comes to this type of thing than than let something go and and not pick up on it early.
0: It's tough because I think with some of that picking up on body language a lot of times it's not necessarily in a meeting itself it might be you know it's those moments between the meetings or you catch someone at their their desk and you know maybe you're picking up on a vibe that you should go and and check in with them and that that's certainly missing now
2: yeah it it definitely is i i have this like running joke that slack is hard and whenever i'm seeing a miscommunication happening in slack i'll just write down like slack is hard (laughs) right (laughs) it's it's so easy to write something and have somebody misinterpret it or somebody else jumps into a conversation without reading the initiating part of the conversation and misinterpretations happen really quickly on slack slack's great for for team collaboration but it's also great to exacerbate all the different types of miscommunications that can happen so i I always throw in like the zoom is hard, uh, you know, or slack is hard. I'll put right into a text and it's just sort of like a way of everybody going like, okay, there's definitely a miscommunication going on here. Let's all like pause for a moment, reread what everybody else has already read. It's all in text or maybe just jump on a zoom and have a conversation.
1: I find, or I feel that slack makes it even worse in some ways because There's this immediacy to Slack that you feel like you need to participate now, otherwise it's going to pass you by. And then that lowers the quality of like one person may be in the middle of something else. And so their replies are even more terse than Mm -hmm. they otherwise would be because they're trying to participate because they don't want to miss out, but they're actually working on something else.
2: Right. Yeah. I've seen it a few times where, you know, somebody figures out that in Slack, you can create a thread. And then there's this like side thread happening, and nobody else is getting alerted to mm-hmm. the side thread that's happening. And somebody jumps in, and you know that tiny little indicator let lets you know that that topic is now being continued on this side thread is off the main page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then somebody else is jumping in without knowing that the conversation is happening. There's a lot of ways that miscommunications can happen on Slack. I think overall, it's a great tool, but I I think it's just something to be aware of now that this is mainly your only way of communicating with your team.
1: You mentioned Zoom calls. So are you also doing a lot of video calls? We are. We're trying to create. Process to make sure that this communication
2: within the team is happening quickly and and fast and within our quick iteration cycles. So we'll have one-on-one Zoom calls that I'll have with everybody on the team, and that's once a week. And then we have a Zoom call where everybody's on the call every week together. And then the medical team will have Zoom calls together. And then once a week have a Zoom call with the rest of the team to specifically talk about the things that they're seeing so we we are implementing it uh, more and more, and trying to make a process, but not overly adding too much process to us at this stage. But it it's something that we're just very cognizant of, making sure that we're over communicating, that we're not relying too much on Slack, and Zoom seems to be a better form of collaboration right now. It when stuff is moving quickly and there's something new popping up or. Just that you know weekly connecting that happens you know on a zoom call that doesn't happen so much on on Slack
1: No, for a zoom call that has everybody on it, how many people is that now?
2: We are a team of eight and four of us are full time so it, it's usually about six that mm-hmm. will be on on the weekly call, so we're still super small, which I can see a, a larger uh, organization have to put in a lot more process to make sure that the communications happen smoothly, but we're so small right now that it's much easier in some senses. And in another sense, if somebody on our team is miscommunicating, then that's an, an enormous percentage of our company <laughs> that that is not in sync with everybody else. So I think it's important for us to make sure that everybody is in sync, but at the same time, it's might be a little bit easier for us. I also think it's the makeup of our team. There's, there's nobody on our team that's not a great communicator or doesn't realize the stage that we're at where they need to sometimes over-communicate. And I think that's a big factor as well.
0: Is communication as a skill set important to you when bringing on new people to the team?
2: It definitely is. It's not my best skill set by any means. And so whenever I'm building a team, I'm always looking for people that have skill sets that I don't necessarily have. Or if I'm weak in a certain spot, I need to make sure that I'm hiring people who are, are more skilled in that. So making sure that somebody is great with communicating. And, it, and these are the things I think actually come out pretty easily in, in an interview process, you know, setting up times to chat, making sure that communication is happening during the interviews. We haven't yet done any digital or, or video interviews yet, but I think that will add more challenges, but maybe it might also highlight how well these people are with interviewing and communicating and setting up times and, and getting every question that they need to within that one hour Zoom call. So I, I think I think those are things I always look for when I'm hiring anybody in any role within a company.
0: Anyone made it through the process that maybe ended up not shining in, in that area and saw the negative outcomes of not proper vetting?
2: <laughs> you know, I think throughout my career, I mean, I've been doing this for over 20 years now, I've definitely hired people who aren't great communicators. And I think those are, those are the things I look back on and and look to see like, what were the red flags when we were hiring them? Or what did we notice that we didn't really pay attention to or think was important during the interview process. Uh, there's definitely been people in the past who weren't great at communicating and got through, or or maybe they were great at communicating at first and then their incentives changed, uh, the team changed, and and they became you know less engaged, and that's what caused their communication skills to to drop. You know it could be in any number of things, but. You know, I, I think when it comes to hiring is you don't beat yourself up out of, you know, making those types of mistakes. You just try to learn from them and and not make them again in the future.
0: Yeah. Speaking personally, so I obviously am always hiring for marketing where there's like a whole other level of communication there, right? It's a huge part of the job. You're communicating to the market about your your value and to customers. But in in a lot of ways, I kind of low-key grade people's communications in the interview process more than some of the discussion we actually have or the interview questions. You know, Did they follow up with an email? What questions did they ask? Did they reach out to everyone? Did they do additional research and come back with that? I think can be such a major indicator in the performance that someone's going to give.
2: Yeah, I agree. It it also shows just how excited they are about the opportunity. I think that's probably the number one thing I've noticed with people who are great at communicating is because they're excited and they love what they're doing. You know, I I think there's this like old saying, a leadership saying, and I I forget who said it and I'll probably butcher the quote, but something about like, don't teach people how to build a boat, but make them like yearn for the sea. Um, I so disagree with everything about that comment because I would rather people join my team who are already yearning for the sea who already have this passion to get out there and see that we're building a boat and go, ah, this is finally my chance to get out there. And those people that have that sort of ambition and have the same mission that matches with the company and the rest of the team, those are the ones that tend to dive in and over communicate when they need to and, you know, are emailing, you know, what's the next step or if they had a to-do list after the interview to get back to me on certain things, that they're very quick to do that. Mm -hmm. I think it's more about whether or not they have that ambition and that drive that matches our our mission that, that is more important than maybe their communication skills. I think that's more of the driving factor.
1: What are some of the traits that really stand out to you when you think of someone who's a good communicator? In addition to the like the the follow up and follow through and that kind of thing, is you know reading, writing, like what what are some of the the most important areas? Uh, that's a good question. I, I haven't thought too much
2: about what the exact areas are. I think it's just that there needs to be somebody who, when there's a conversation, there's like a rhythm to it. Mm you know, it's just back and forth. It's not just that they're saying all the right things, it's that they're interpreting what I'm saying the right way. Mm-hmm. And so I think if there's a whole bunch of follow-up questions that could be a sign that someone's interested, but it can also be a sign that they're not actually understanding what I'm saying. You know, it's a two-way street. It might be that they're great at communicating, but they're not great at communicating with me. I think those are, are some of the things that I look for. It might be somebody else in the team, you know, I might have a great conversation with somebody and really like them. And then, you know, somebody else in the team comes out of the interview and is like, yeah, uh, (laughs) not, not a chance. And so those are the things that also matter because they're, they're most of the time probably don't be interacting with somebody else on the team and not so much with me. So I think I take all that into account when looking at a candidate. Mm -hmm.
0: So you mentioned Zoom and Slack as far as day-to-day, week-to-week, communication and collaboration. Are you using other tools for collaboration and documentation, either of internal processes or, you know, anything that you're planning?
2: Yeah, we are big fans of Google Docs. I think everything in the G Suite we probably utilize heavily. So everything is either in a, a Google Doc or a spreadsheet. We tend not to use any of the Microsoft products that aren't on a cloud because you know the need for everybody to see the documents and to work on them in a collaborative mode is very important. So we'll create a slide deck for a meeting and then have everybody make edits to their slides. And, you know, those always live within Google Docs. And then the next week we will create another one and reference the old one. So Google Docs is something that that we leverage a, a lot. We don't really use any other tools. You know, I've used Jira in the past. And and I think that comes into play when the team is a little bit bigger. You know, right now, everything should be focused on the customer or the patient, as we say, in, in this world. And I think those are the things that Once you start using these third-party tools, it's great when you have a team and you need to increase that process to make sure the collaboration and the communication is working with a large team, but in a small team, I think those things can sometimes give you a false sense of following along with what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to at this stage, be very agile and quick to to change the process.
1: So does that mean that you're putting together like Google Docs or presentations and and collaborating on that when it comes to like... How this feature is going to work, or what we're going to do two weeks from now when we're working on this, and then that document is flowing through the process. Exactly.
2: Yeah, we haven't created any processes that every single project would want to follow the same flow. Mm -hmm. So every single process, we create a new Google Doc. We create the requirements. And then very quickly, you can see that, you know, a part of the document is just like falling away. Yep. That's because the scope of things is changing so quickly. You know, we don't plan more than two weeks in advance. We have the big mission and we have a big vision and we have big milestones that we want to hit this year in terms of product and, and roadmap. But literally every single detail that's in between those you know two or three milestones that we want to hit with this year, we only define those at about two weeks. And so those live on a Google Doc.
0: You're working with some healthcare providers and they're kind of notoriously not using Google Docs or Gmail and things like that. Do you have to then switch to other tools when you want to present to healthcare provider or other healthcare related companies who might be on a more old school, they argue more secure software suite?
2: Yeah, you know, we we have to convert our Google Docs to fax every once in a while. I'm only kidding. (laughs) I I thought you were serious. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) No, you know, we, we tend not to work with the providers who aren't more forward thinking, who aren't more innovative most of them are using microsoft products so we do export out of google docs but you know most of them when we do share a google document they'll log in so we haven't seen too much of that at least with the partnerships that we're building that's good
0: so at nurse one one you have medical professionals on the team which is a change from previous companies you've been at uh, mm-hmm. Is there any learning curve there in terms of how you collaborate with them?
2: They're definitely different from an engineer, they're different from a marketing folk. And it's the one thing I've sort of had to learn is the different personalities. I've always seen the different personalities from a designer to a back-end engineer, to uh, somebody who's in marketing. And it has been an adjustment to learn the difference between a personality of a doctor versus a different personality of a nurse. And those are two things that I never knew that there were very different types of personalities. And so some of the things I've picked up in the medical world is that they're very big process in making sure that things are being measured is something that I think mirrors both worlds, but something that they are very good at is when there is an emergency. You know, I, re- I think all of us have watched ER before, so this is no surprise, but like when something crazy is happening and we need everybody to move quick, it's the medical team that is like in their element, right? It's something is happening quickly we need to adjust. We need to figure out what's going on. Like everybody jump on a zoom call and like they're there and they're the ones that are used to that type of environment. So that that's like a great ad to have on, on their side. Other things are, you know, the software and and I can see how in, in healthcare software sometimes has uh, you know, the standard idea is that software within healthcare is very bloated and old fashioned. And I can see when, those types of conversations come up about defining how the software should work, that they are. They're, they're people that are trained in medicine. They're not trained in user experience. And so that's when it's a big conversation to make sure that we're understanding their needs and having many conversations to make sure that the requirements are meeting what they need, because otherwise, you know, we can add a whole bunch of buttons and features that do this thing and that thing. And I think that's sort of where the learning on their side and on our development team side comes into play. And and that's, I think, that's sort of the fun part, I think, of what we're doing is seeing how these two worlds come together and and how we can build things that when we do bring it to the customer, they're like, yeah, this works perfectly. And then it works really well.
1: You know, the topic for this episode is communication and, you know, you build a product that is literally communicating with with your customers, right? Have there been lessons that you've learned and that have shaped your product for the way that your users interact with the product and, and communicate with the nurses?
2: Yeah, I, I think this is really where we excel in this marketplace. You know, it's almost unheard of that you can have a conversation with a provider and all you did was enter in your email address and your first name, and you can actually put in, you know, a fake first name. You could put in a fake email address and you can still get access to a live nurse within seconds. And that's unheard of within the healthcare world. And so as we have partnerships and they say, well, we're going to need to know all this information up front and we're going need, you know, this and that. And that's when we dive in and we say, you know, are these things absolutely necessary? Are these things that could actually be discussed in the conversation, in the chat with the patient? You know, why do we need to put them up front and basically prevent most of your patients from getting through because they might not know, you know, their insurance carrier? They might not have that on them. They might be asking a question about their aging parents and they don't know their birthday. Right. Like these are things that in the healthcare world, it's just a standard thing. You have to have date of birth. You have to have, you know, who the insurance provider is and the insurance number and, you know, their address and cities that they used to live in and like all these types of inputs that are are required and what we always see is like no like we're still using consumer product type of methodologies which is like get out of the way of the user like don't put on any roadblocks in them you know see how many clicks that they have to go through before they get to what they really want you know these are the things that I think we excel at the other things are don't scare the patient away before don't have these like big giant disclaimers that scare them but instead explain it to them in terms that they understand or don't use very deep medical language to describe their concern to them. They're not going to understand that. And I think this is really where we've put a little bit more effort than historically what's been in healthcare. And I think that's why we're seeing much higher engagement rates uh, and patients who come back to us and an NPS score of 58 right out of the gate. I think these are the things that healthcare needs more of. And I think that comes directly from the collaboration that we're having between the product side of our team and the medical side.
1: Are most of the people who Know are coming to the product. They're probably worried, right? <laughs> so things like scaring them away or or shutting them down are probably even heightened.
2: That's exactly it. We see a very high level of anxiety from every single patient that comes in to nurse one one. It's almost rare that we see someone who's calm and collective when they enter the chat. That's where these nurses accelerate. That's where these nurses are able to do what they do best, which is calm people down, use empathy, and gain their trust by really listening to the patients. That is really the core of what Nurse 1-1 is doing, is just calming people down. And so when you put things in front of someone who's you know in high anxiety and is trying to figure out, should I rush to the emergency room for a concern about my kid or themselves, you can't put excuses in front of somebody like that. Things that we did in the early days of testing was finding out that if we said you would have a conversation with a provider who could diagnose you and prescribe a medication to you, we actually saw a lot of patients that wouldn't sign up. And when we removed that type of language and actually put in things that we thought were at first helping, you know, our liability by saying you're not going to get a prescription or a diagnosis. This is not a replacement for your physician. That's when we started to see patients engaging more and it's because they're so scared. They don't want to make a mistake. It's their health that you don't want to put things in front of them that are going to make them think that this is a mistake, that this is for somebody that already knows what they're talking about. Somebody that's already done the research and knows what their condition is. And those are the things that we always, every single word that is on the messaging from our landing page to our marketing in the product, things that we educate the nurses on what to say and what not to say, you know, these are all things that we really focus on to make sure that none of those things are in the way of the patient.
0: How do you share with nurses what to say and what not to say? Is that part of an onboarding?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things that we do. So the medical team, we we have this benefit of having now over 1,100 nurses who have signed up for our platform. We can be very selective which nurses we have on our platform. And we do things where, you know, we'll do the traditional onboarding background checks, making sure that their licenses are up to date on average, most of the nurse practitioners have 11 years of experience. So we can be very picky with who we have on the platform. We also have a chat. We do a simulated chat with them to make sure that they have the, the ability to have a, a great conversation through text, which is really important on a platform that's about communicating through text, making sure that they use emojis, that they're not overly medical, you know, be able to connect with these patients.
0: Really? Emojis?
2: We had a nurse in the early days use an emoji with a mom who was, I forget the exact case, but she was very scared about something. And I think it might've been the poop emoji or like the, <laughs> the scary face emoji or one of those was used by the nurse. And you just, all of a sudden, I think it was like a couple chats later that the patient started using emojis back and the entire tone of the conversation completely changed. And that's when we saw the nurse really connecting in influencing this patient to do the right thing. And so that's where where we see stuff like that within a chat. Well, then we do these weekly newsletters where our medical team sends an email out to all of the nurses on our platform with some high-level updates on the product, but then also things that we've learned that work really well. We'll also put them in the app. So the very first time you come in and have a chat with the nurse, we auto-populate the text that we want the nurse to say at first to sort of get them really quickly to show that they're a live nurse. And in that auto-populated text, we've put in an emoji. And that's not so much for the patient, but that's more to message to the nurse and say, hey, Like, it's okay to use emojis. You know, Mm -hmm. some provider groups are out there telling nurses and and doctors not to use emojis because there's misinterpretation of what they could mean. But we actually have seen very clearly that this increases the engagement of the patient And so we'll do things like that where we'll see one nurse having much better outcomes than any of the other nurses. We'll dive in to see what they're doing differently. And then we'll message this out, whether it's through our weekly emails to all the nurses, or we'll embed it somewhere into our product, into the experience of the nurse so that they learn this type of behavior so that all of them are basically learning from each other and And anytime one of them has a different strategy that works better, we make sure that all the nurses also have that strategy.
0: So the next logical step is to apply machine learning to (laughs) all these conversations that you're having.
2: Yeah, this is, uh, (laughs) I think this is where we differentiate from a lot of the really fast growing solutions in the market. And this is the challenging part. You know, I, I like competition, especially in a space that's trying to challenge the status quo of healthcare and increase accessibility for patients. And so I I like the idea that there's different players trying different strategies because, you know, if their strategy works, then I get to live in a world where healthcare is better. But I'm actually very skeptical of the idea of using AI to communicate with patients. I think when fear and anxiety and personal challenges are applied to things, which you know the personal circumstances of a patient change wildly from one person to another and to have ai understand all of that to understand how to be empathetic with someone to calm them down and then influence them to make sure that they're doing the right thing i think the idea of automating that at this stage is a big mistake And I think it's going to disengage a lot of patients, and I think it's going to separate patients a little bit further from the providers that matter. You know, part of our mission that we're seeing as the world moves to digital health is you look at the existing healthcare system, and there's a lot of great things that have been created over the years. And there's a lot of amazing parts, and we're seeing this during this outbreak. There's a lot of heroes that are out there that are connecting with patients and helping. And those are the things that, as we move to digital, we can't leave behind. And, and you know, part of our mission now is how do we embed the personality, the empathy, and the care of a nurse into digital health. And that's sort of our strategy now going forward is how do we embed Nurse One into other health platforms so that they don't just automate everything. And the experience for the patient, you know, loses that personal touch that we think only a nurse can provide.
1: We've actually ended up in, in a lot of ways right back where we started, which is, we didn't call it that when we were talking about Seeing people on your team and how they're feeling, and seeing the moments in between the meetings—that's that's that's empathy. (laughs) And we found our way there on the product side, and with the conversations that you're having with customers and the product that you're building. And I guess it's no surprise that you care a lot about that for your team as well, since it's inherent in the product that you're all building.
2: Yeah. I mean, at at the end of the day, the only way that this team's going to be able to get through the challenges that we're facing is is if everybody's enjoying what they're working on and that they're feeling fulfilled. And it's hard to gauge, you know, everybody could be working together and heading in the same direction, but you still have to check in with everybody to make sure that, you know, they're still have the same goals, uh, that they're still understanding why they're working on what they're doing and that they're still passionate about what they're working on.
1: So, should we check in on how things have been going since the uh, last time we chatted for some of your company goals that we talked about for, for the year? What, what were those goals? <laughs> <laughs> I, should have, I should have watched the last podcast yeah. before I logged in. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that's a, probably a good place to start or a good way to frame it is you already said you, you don't really do much planning more than two weeks out when it comes to the the specifics of how you're going to get to those big milestones that you have. How have things changed even in the last month for you or for the business?
2: Yeah. You know, we, we've had some really big learnings that we've sort of seen at a small level. So, so, you know, the number of patients that are coming to our platform just in the past few months has been over 30,000. So the data that we're looking at now is much more rich. We ask questions now to patients like, are you considering going to the emergency room? We're taking into consideration the time of the day that a patient comes in, uh, the day of the week that a patient comes in and how likely they are to head to the emergency room when they shouldn't and so a lot of the the data that we have now is driving where we're going. We're seeing about 17% of all the patients that come into Nurse 1-1 are considering going to the emergency room. And only about 3 to 5% of these patients are being recommended by our nurses to go to the emergency room. And so if you think of that many patients are coming into our platform who are about to go to a multi-thousand dollar level of service for care that... Doesn't need to go there. The cost savings to the healthcare system are huge, and so these are things that we've always known. You know, this is the original use case mm-hmm. that we created Nurse One One Four, but to see almost consistently on a daily basis the number of patients that are coming in between fifteen to seventeen. You know, the other weekend we saw twenty percent of all patients were considering going to the emergency room you know these are these are staggering numbers when you think of how many people are coming through and so this is really getting us to double down on some of the things that maybe in the past we were like all right these are great once we have the stats we should go and talk to players in the in the marketplace who have an incentive to make sure that patients aren't spending extra money and so you know that has been a little bit of the shift that we've had in the past we're also seeing this marketplace completely change the need for telemedicine is growing rapidly and we're partnering with more and more telemedicine providers that have digital solutions but need the scale so we have now over 1100 nurses on our platform even with this giant volume almost all of our patients are being connected with a nurse within eight seconds And we hear the very large players that are out there that now have multi-day waiting times for for patients to actually be seen with a provider. Mm. And we're seeing that only about 30% of all patients should actually be recommended to a video visit. And so, you know, looking at these numbers and realizing that we have this amazing ability to screen patients, to make sure that within seconds They're connected with someone who can influence them to make sure that they're making the right choice, but then also reduce costs within the system as a whole. And so all of the stats is now helping us really focus on who we should be talking to in the future to make sure that we have aligned business models that we're not just driving up utilization of healthcare that we're partnering with players who have an incentive to make sure that these patients are getting the best experience, that they're staying well engaged, but then also that they're not overutilizing levels of care that they shouldn't be utilizing at that time.
0: Yeah, the partnerships was definitely one that you you spoke to last time in terms of a goal being, you know, the number of chats through different channels indicating how you're doing to increase the access to care and how do you build partnerships that allow you to do that
2: yeah and it's these partnerships really matter when we have our product and anybody can go to nurse11.com and have a chat with a nurse Uh, anywhere in the country you can do this and it costs you $12.50 which is much cheaper than any other telemedicine solution out there You know, unless your insurance is covering it for free, we are probably by far the cheapest because of the way we've set this up. Even with that low price point, the number of patients that engage when they have to pay is very low. And so these partnerships matter for us, you know, to make sure that more and more patients will have a conversation with the nurse and engage. So making sure that our product is free to patients is huge. And the only way we're going to do that is through these partnerships. The only way we don't have these partnerships is to make sure that they're partnerships that are aligned in our incentives. And so a lot of the learnings that we're getting right now is really driving who we're going to partner with in the future.
0: Have you actually gotten new partnerships in the last month?
2: We do. There's a big one that's rolling out and there's one that we're about to close any day now. Yeah. So we we are partnering with uh, medical device companies that are seeing a lot of visitors to their website and they want to make sure that these patients are being educated on what the product is and then heading into the right direction to then go ask a provider about the medical devices. Some of the things that we see is just by offering free chat on any website Sometimes it's up to 255% increase in signups when that tool is just behind the signup wall. And so that's a stat that is really interesting to you know any digital marketing person out there that has a whole lot of content and is trying to figure out how do you convert these patients' further down the funnel, educate them and send them in the right direction to get the right care, you know, increasing that number by 255% is, is a pretty interesting sell. And we have enough data right now to show that that is happening. And it's kind of funny as when we tell providers that number and say, you know, we can increase the number and we've had stats that show that this is the number of patients that will sign up. They're first staggered and then they're like, well, of course, because it's free chat with a nurse. And we're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a free chat with a nurse. And that's what we get to offer, which is which is a great value add, we think.
1: Yeah. I mean, anybody could offer chat, right? But for it to be with an actual nurse live yeah, within is, eight seconds, right? Really, yeah. really powerful. And the $12.50 or whatever is, you know, depending on the cost of the medical device is probably makes perfect sense.
2: Exactly. When when you think of the costs that a lot of these players in this market spend mm-hmm. just to get the attention of patients, never mind getting them in a conversation that is going to influence these patients to make sure that they understand the information that they're reading that they then have an intelligent conversation with their provider that in many cases don't have a provider and and we can even find one for them. This is very interesting uh, to a lot of players with, within the industry, not just insurance companies, not just providers or medical device companies, but pharmaceuticals, You know, a whole list of digital health companies that are out there that are creating content and trying to figure out how do we engage patients the best. We have this amazing tool that Anytime you walk into a traditional healthcare setting, the nurse talks to you first. The nurse are the ones that engage these patients. They set them up for for success. We're just doing it in the digital era, and it's pretty fun to see happening. Mm -hmm.
1: So the other goal that you had was maintaining your high NPS score? Correct. Yes. You already mentioned that it's pretty high. I assume as your numbers have grown, it's held up?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's been an ongoing adjustment to make sure that we're getting statistically significant numbers on that. It's at 58, mm-hmm. which is a number that makes sense. I think when we first started, we were seeing in the 90s, which we were all like this is crazy and our head of marketing just was like this is clearly not right. <laughs> Nobody has uh, an NPS score in the 90s and it's settled. It's it's settled around 58 right now, which is still amazing. You know, I don't know of many digital health companies that have an NPS score that high, especially not ones that get it right out of the gate when they first start measuring it. So that that's really something that we highlight every week on what the current NPS score is.
1: Now, how are you actually collecting that from people? I don't think we asked last time. Are you asking after they finish the chat? Yeah.
2: We, we have struggled with where to ask. So we send it in an email Mm -hmm. after you have the conversation. I think it comes like a day later. The reason why we do this is this, it's a balance between making sure the patient has the right call to action after the conversation. So many times the nurse is recommending a level of care Mm -hmm. and the metrics that we measure first and foremost at the end of these conversations is does the patient engage with what the nurse has asked them to do? If that's the book a video visit, uh, we make sure that they're clicking on that link. If it's to call 911, we're making sure that they're clicking on that link. So that's really what's most important in the experience of the product. And so tracking an NPS score that although benefits us directly and over time, it's going to benefit all the patients. It doesn't make sense at that state in healthcare of being like, you should call 911 first. Right. Would you recommend <laughs> yeah. Nurse one to someone else? You know, it doesn't fit. So we do it in an email a couple of days later, too, because this is also someone that we don't want to send the email when we just told them to call 911. You know, they're, they're calling 911 heading to the emergency room when we're hitting up, up with an email. Yeah. We need to understand really the situation that they're in. And we wait a couple of days before we send those types of emails. That's cool.
0: That actually makes for a pretty difficult NPS scenario. Now that you explain it that way, even in the first place, you're dealing with someone who's having a really hard time.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's the part that our medical team brings. And it's these weekly meetings that we've implemented where, you know, they're in communication a lot. We're all in communication on Slack, but it's just making sure that we're, aware of what we're building. And so if you've built a food delivery app in the past, you know, it's very different than someone who's hungry versus somebody who's sick. And so they're really great with making sure that the perspective of the patient is baked into every decision that we're making, every product feature that we're making. That is something that I think the ethics of the, the team that we've built is really pushing us forward on that front.
1: Awesome. Well, what we're hoping is that people will uh, listen to this conversation and send questions in for us or for you. But if people want to follow along with you or get in touch directly with you, Michael, where's the best places for them to do that? I
2: think it's Twitter. My Twitter is Michael dot com slash Michael
1: Shealy. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. And we look forward to checking in with you next month and talking to you again. (laughs) Thanks for having me again. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm.
0: If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And
1: me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Wabarski.
0: Thanks for listening and see you next time.
2: This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.